through this one, it was like, oh man, it's like, oh, boom, there's another one. Oh, boom, there's another one. Like every time you opened your mouth, it was like, oh my gosh, like there's another like just perfect gold fall, just gold on, falling out. entrepreneurial gold just falling out of your mouth everywhere you <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm a... You were built, you were built for this. You were yeah. absolutely made for it. Welcome to the Find Your Freedom podcast. Our guest today is Melissa Dorman. She is a former social worker turned real estate broker and investor. Using creative investing and financing strategies, she has built a portfolio of over 30 doors within just five years. On today's episode, we'll be discussing taking the leap from a government job to becoming an entrepreneur, what it takes to build a real estate portfolio that cash flows, getting creative to accelerate your growth and success, building a strong network, and so much more. If you enjoy the podcast, the best way to support us is to click like, subscribe, and share, and write us a quick review. We appreciate you helping spread the word of the Find Your Freedom podcast. Yo, 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 yo. Welcome, Melissa. Super stoked to have you on. We haven't met before, but from what I've heard, you seem like an incredible human, and I am super eager to hear more about your story. Welcome to the Find Your Freedom podcast, Melissa. Now, can you give our audience just a quick summary of what your company does and what you love most about what you do for work? Yeah, absolutely. So right now, my main gig is that I have a team of realtors in Portland, Oregon. Uh, we focus uh, on investment properties, but we help all types of buyers and sellers. Um, we do about 120 to 150 transactions a year, about 100 million in uh, volume. And uh, so that's my primary focus, but I also um, have my own rentals and, and other investments as well. I love that. That is so awesome. So that's sort of where we are now. I want to take a step back now because your story is a little similar to me. Can you give our audience a little bit of background about sort of your school, what you did when you came out of school, and then sort of how you progressed to have this super impressive situation that you currently have? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually um, graduated from UCLA uh, with a master's in social work, and that was going to be my career path. I loved helping people. Um, and I found myself in a situation when my family uh, was going through a crisis. My my dad actually had Alzheimer's. And um, as he continued to um, progress in his uh, illness, we as, as a family just didn't have any resources. Um, we didn't know what to do. Uh, and, and, you know, home care can cost about $7,000 a month for somebody who has Alzheimer's. And we just didn't have it. And as a social worker, I also didn't have the resources. So that's what was a real um, life-changing moment for me. And I realized that money does matter. <laughs> and um, so I started, um, I was working in LA County Jail as a social worker, um, helping inmates at that time. And um, there's a lot of downtime when you're in jail, even if you're just a social worker. <laughs> and so I just started um, looking up how, how to build wealth and uh, started realizing that real estate was one of the easiest ways to do that. Um, and so I just spent about 20 hours a week listening to podcasts, reading books, and uh, self-educating for about a year until I felt really confident on, um, on my next steps on how to invest, which was going to be looking for off-market properties, uh, small plexes to buy. And so that was a real big change for me. And I eventually um, found my first duplex off market and it appraised for 50,000 more than I was going to buy it for. And that was like the moment that I realized I needed to quit my social work job and do this full time. So yeah, that's, so that's you how did I that, You did that deal prior to leaving your, your job as a social worker? I did. Yeah. It was actually this, uh, 
it, it was in 2017, it closed and my dad, he passed away about three months later. And after he passed away, you know, my dad was one of the hardest working men that I ever knew, uh, just like a real blue collar guy. And I just realized like I could spend my whole life as a social worker, helping people and be in his same situation when I go to retire. And so after he passed away, I literally didn't go back to work. I just said, I'm going to start doing this full time. And I did, which was crazy because honestly I had about $16,000 in my checking account and I just bought a duplex. <laughs> so it, it's not something I would advise people to do, but it is what I did. Well, first off, yeah, let, let us just say, you know, I'm so sorry to hear about your loss Thank and you. um, that your family had to go through that. Um, yeah. But, but it looks like you really kind of turned that into a real positive. And I think what you just said is what so many of our listeners are kind of, you know, thinking and have, they have these realizations and I had like a very similar kind of paradigm shift for me. It's just like, this isn't sustainable for me. This isn't the type of life that I want to live. Yeah. And, um, how am I going to figure out how to, how to transition, how to bridge myself from where I currently am. And you had gone to school for social work, mm -hmm. got a master's in it, and then you were working, doing the job full time. Mm -hmm. And you're, and, and in that time you decided like, Hey, how am I going to get from here to here? Yeah. And it sounds like you really had a lot of, um, sort of, uh, gumption in yourself to say like, look, I have some free time. I'm going to just start doing my, so my own self-education here. Uh, can you talk a little bit more about sort of what directed you on the path to real estate? And then how you sort of found those resources, because these are all like things that people are currently trying to do and hearing from someone who's done it is really incredible. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, I so in the jails where I was doing all my studying, um, <laughs> uh, you can't bring cell phones in. And so I would I was kind of reliant on bringing my iPod that didn't have any cell phone connection right back in the day, those old ones. So I just download podcasts. A lot of bigger pockets podcasts was actually really a big resource for me. I listened to every episode at that time, which was like two or 300. And then I also would just go to the, the library and look up any sort of real estate book. I mean, whatever you search in, in Amazon that says real estate related or whatever, I've probably read that book. <laughs> and I, I just took, that. yeah, I just took diligent notes. And then I, I started networking with other investors, uh, going to meetup groups, um, um, connecting with them and just learning, um, learning what they knew about, about the industry and about their particular niche and, and how they were doing their business. That's really incredible. I mean, so you're working full time mm -hmm. and you realize, okay, this isn't going to provide the type of security and comfort financially that I, I want for myself and my family. And, and, so I, you, and I don't want to keep working for 50 yeah. more years. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't want to work yeah, myself into the ground. And yeah. Uh, yeah, you took one of the things that stood out from what you said is all the hours that you put in, mm -hmm. in addition to your full-time job. Now I know you said it was, yeah. there was some downtime and stuff, but yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, they probably would just listen to music, get their iPod mm -hmm. going and listen to music or find other ways to like burn that time that they yeah. that they have downtime. And I work full time. Like, what do you want me to do? I, I don't have time, but you found the time and you, I think you said you put in 20 hours a week. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Diligently. Yeah. I think, I think the other piece that really resonated with me was you did the, the studying part but you also went out and you found a network of people who have yes. done what you wanted to do. And I think that's such a critical piece. Yeah. Like, like you just, like Doug just said, like, there's so many people who are like, well, what do you want me to do? Like, like mm -hmm. I want to do this, uh, you know, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to live that life. 
um, well, you can always just network with people and yes. learn from the people who are doing or have done what you wanted to do. So you sought these people out in meetups mm-hmm. and just from, you know, I'm sure you probably had some real estate friends um, and it really connected the dots for you. So can you talk a little bit more about now uh, how you found your first deal while you were still a social worker mm-hmm. in jail? how you found that first deal and sort of how you sort of walked through that because that's a scary scary thing to do Uh, yeah absolutely so around that time I actually uh, moved up to Portland so I left that job and I I took another social work job up in in Oregon and uh, I sent out about 300 direct mail letters to small multifamily owners in in Portland I spent about $300 and I hand addressed every single one of those. Wow. Um, my coworkers were making fun of me as I was driving to and from work in our carpool. And I'm just sitting in the back, you know, writing all these addresses. They called me Zillow. It was really oh, funny. This is such a, this is such a yeah. cool story. I love Who, this. Who's and, laughing now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so like from that first mail campaign, that was only 300 letters. I actually got my first duplex, which appraised 50000 um, more than I was buying it for. Um, but two years later, because of my follow-up, I actually bought a second duplex. Um, and that actually turned into selling two lots off of that one and, and really uh, came with $100,000 of equity. So that was, you know, that one mail campaign really, really got me two deals. That is so awesome. Incredible. Yeah, talk about the grind to, to, to bridge that gap. This is so like for me, like inspirational, because it is such a hard thing. You know, Doug and I were talking about how we kind of have, we, we have two kind of people who are listening to the podcast right now. The first group is college, college people, or people post college that are kind of finding their way and aren't really sure yet. And are like, like the idea of being an entrepreneur, but don't really know how to do it yet. And there's a second group of people who are already in a set job, a nine to five, and they're not fulfilled. And they're not enjoying it and they don't look forward to going every day and they want to find the alternative those people are you know you and me (laughs) your story Mm -hmm. you did it a lot uh better and faster than i did but um and sounds like a lot a lot less painful (laughs) but but this is so awesome hearing the step-by-step path and how you really just like researched found different ways to do things and you actually just like hey i'm just gonna do it like i'm just gonna try it and that takes so much courage. I think it's such a cool way that you were able to walk us through that. All right. So you got your first few deals. Um, now talk about the last, how many years has it been now? And sort of, can you walk us through the process? Yeah. So my first uh, property um, was in March, 2017. So, uh, you know, coming up on six years. Almost six year anniversary. <laughs> yeah, that's six years anniversary. Um, so yeah, I, I basically just bought one small multifamily a year for the most part, Uh it was a combination of off-market deals and our on-market deals and just being able to recognize um, opportunities that other people were overlooking. Um, and I mean, I did some creative stuff. Uh, a lot of, lot of creative seller financing things is how, how I propelled myself much faster than I think the average person, um, which I'm happy to get into that. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So were you, were you a realtor at this time, Melissa, or was that later? No, yeah, it's a great question. So after I quit my day job to be a full-time investor, um, I realized I'm going to need some money. (laughs) $16,000 isn't going to get me very far. So I got my uh, realtor license in a hurry and I actually partnered uh, with a local real estate attorney. And we set up this kind of cool business model where he would look up the records for people who had a, what's called a notice of, um, 
default. And that means that they've not paid their bills, but they're not quite yet for up for foreclosure. And I would then get some software and skip trace them and find them. And given my social work background, I was able to have real heart to heart conversations with people about how they were going to go to auction and how that would be a really traumatic event in their life. And then we'd problem solve together how to get them relocated and and get them set up for success. And then um, me and that attorney, we would try to figure out what was the best option, whether that was negotiating the debt down before it went to auction or renting the house out until it went to auction or any other number of ways to um, monetize uh, that asset, basically. So I did that for about a year, did about 20 transactions that way and realized that it felt a whole lot like social work, <laughs> which was hard. <laughs> So after that point, I decided I wanted to transition. Um, that, that was a really amazing opportunity. It built a lot of grit, you know, cold calling 10 hours a week, trying to get a hold of people that answered the phone with F you was, uh, <laughs> was not easy. They were used to getting a lot of debt collectors calling them. So to be able to convert that type of um, person really set me up for success when I transitioned to, to more retail on market transactions, just a normal realtor kind of job. And so in 2018, that's what I did. I uh, teamed up with my current business partner, his name's Yasha Noonberg, and uh, we formed our team. And we've been the number one team uh, at our brokerage at Living Room Realty in Portland, Oregon for the last uh, four years. Wow. I mean, it's really quite uh, apparent why you've had so much success with everything that you put in. I mean, it, it just comes across that you are a very diligent person and a whatever it takes type of person. And, um, you know, we'd like to, um, we'd like to take a look at that first year. Cause the first year is as, as you, I'm sure you still remember very well is a lot of challenges, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of, um, you know, difficulties that we all have to come as, as, um, overcome as new entrepreneurs. So what, what stands out in your mind as the most difficult challenge that you faced and had to overcome during that first year? I'd say, uh, the most difficult thing was getting out of bed every single day. You know, when you don't have a job to clock into and you don't have somebody handing you a paycheck at the end of every week and you're 100% responsible for your income, I mean, I'd wake up and my knees were sh literally shaking, literally shaking. And so I realized I had to get my mindset right, you know? And so I actually sat down and I wrote this uh, sort of anthem for myself. And every morning I would just, first thing, sit down, read it over and over, um, and it basically was just reminding me that I can do this. And, and this is something that, that I just have to seize. And like, even if I fail, you know, I think, I think, um, Franklin D. Roosevelt said, uh, you know, even if I fail, I still want to go out in that arena and I want to, I want to give it my all. Right. And so I would just read this anthem each morning and it would get my mind space. Right. And then I would just seize the day, you know, I get to cold calling. I, I, just, you know, get chewed out over and over and over. But all those no's, every single no meant that you're one no closer to a yes. And like, as long as you have that mindset, like you can really do anything. And so, yeah, for me, it, the hardest part was getting out of bed and then just like every single day getting my mind right and then pursuing it wholeheartedly. Wow. I remember those days. I didn't actually myself do the affirmations, but we've definitely spoken to some who have um, had success with doing the daily affirmations. But I think the biggest point that I take away from what you just said is having a routine, something that you do to start your day every single morning. And you know, when, you, when you're getting out of bed or, or having that inner conflict of, I don't want to go take on another 
all these no's and all the rejection. You just go, I'm, I start my day by doing this and I'm going to do my affirmations. And by the time you're done doing them that morning, you go to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll tell you, like I was taking cold showers first thing in the morning. Cause if you just like, Shock I'm going to do system. the hardest thing. Yeah. Let me, let me jump into like ice cold water. If I can jump into ice cold water first thing in the morning, I could do anything, right? Like I can pick <laughs> up that phone and call that person. So yeah, just like tons of mindset stuff uh, was crucial for those early days. Yeah, I think the, the mental game is so under communicated mm-hmm. Absolutely. about being an entrepreneur. And I want to say, it sounds like your dad really kind of built some really impressive things into you um, that you were able to really put into real life. And, and the mental game, like Doug was saying, we've had a few of our, of our recent guests sort of really get into, it's just like, and hearing you talk about your first few um, months, days, years, <laughs> um, you know, it really resonated with me because it's just like, yeah, I was going door to door, you know, in the same type of thing. And it was all no's because um, the owners of these hotels were telling this 27 year old, like, yeah, like, it sounds like you got some good experience, but you're 27. Like, how am I going to trust these million dollar properties to you? Like, I mean, yeah, so it was it was brutal. And I didn't have any progress <laughs> for for months and months. And, and, and as Doug alluded to before, I, you know, no paycheck during that period. Um, I was still doing some some consulting like later on, um, to help build my network back up um for for later opportunities but yeah it's such a brutal thing and if you don't have i i didn't have the mental fortitude that you had in those early years so it did i think impact me more so but i still did get up and do it for 18 months with those no's um it but it but it was brutal and i think that that's something that's not talked about enough um and i wish someone would have told me more about these affirmations um that really can solidify yourself in the confidence and having the right mindset. Um, and like my morning routine now is I wake up, do some meditation, um, which is, you know, which most people think like, Oh, that, that sounds kind of like, you know, like, Oh, you sit around quiet for a while. It's like, I started with just a two minute meditation and now I'm just up to a five minute, but it really kind of helps me put my head in the right place. And then I just practice some stoicism, you know, thinking about, the negative things in the world and how fortunate my life is to get me proper perspective on like these really hard things that we're about to do. Really, they're not that significant in compare compared to what other challenges that other people are dealing with. And it sounds like you've just like right off the bat. So I wish I wish I would have had those tools that you used um, early on in my career. So hopefully people that are listening or able to hear some of these things and think like, oh, yeah, that does make an impact your mindset and your mental state is critical to being successful and getting through the really hard time and not giving up and saying, you know what, I'm just gonna get my job back. Or you know what, I'm not gonna do this. Like, it sounds like it's too much or I can't handle it right now. Like having the courage to take that step, you gotta work on both preparing yourself, which Melissa did by all the studying, all the networking, all that, but then also, you know, just like, hey, I'm in this for the long haul. I'm going to make sure I can stay positive and get it done. Start with that cold shower. <laughs> yeah. You had a strategy. I love that. Thank you for taking us through that, by the way, because I think we all kind of relive that with you. And John and I certainly remember those dark days before we started having the success. Now, I wanted to um, ask how being a realtor has helped you as an investor. I think um, as a realtor, you know, it's, it's, you're, you've built a team, so obviously you're you're kind of building wealth that way. Um, but a lot of agents, you know, it's it's one transaction after the next to build their income for the year, and it's not until you actually have a team and or investments that you can actually build wealth 
in my opinion. Um, so how, how are the two things work together for you and, and how does one impact the other? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I definitely started on the, the investor side and then I transitioned to realize that my broker license was, was a huge asset. I could make a lot of money in a very quick amount of time if I set that same passion that I had for buying real estate into helping other people buy and sell real estate. And um, so I, I really, uh, I just really focused my energy on building this team and it has been a, a huge vehicle for me. So, um, you know, when we're, I've, I've been doing like 50, 40, 50 transactions a year personally, uh, which is, which is a very good income as a broker uh, in Portland. And so that money, I've just basically continued to keep my lifestyle really, uh, really small, uh, for several years while I just dished all of that money into investment properties and, and other, and other assets. Um, and, and I think that's really key. You know, it's like a lot of realtors, uh, you know, they start making money and the first thing they want to do is buy that fancy car or start moving their lifestyle up, you know, getting a nice house and all that stuff. And, and I was very committed to, if I want to have those assets or if I want to, if I want to have those, um, liabilities in the future, that, that dream car and that house and that boat and all that stuff, all of my assets have to pay for that. So that's how I structured it. As soon as I had enough cash flow to to get a boat, then I got a boat. And as soon as I had enough cash flow to get a cabin, get a cabin, and then I can get a, get a, my dream house. But really structuring that way was key. That sounds like that rich dad, poor dad mentality, doesn't yes, it? Yes, 100%. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how you spoke, uh, referred to them as liabilities. Like I think that's such an interesting phrasing, which almost no one would refer to them as because really... Um, it, it, once again, it's like another theme with some of our really successful people is that they really early on lived a very modest lifestyle with the plan like, hey, if I front load my investments, they'll build. And once I get a cash flow and enough passive income, then I can really start doing the other things and putting the money into these liabilities, you know, the boat and things like that. Not really looking at those as assets because they're not really and um, saying like, that's more disposable income. When I get more disposable income, then I'll use those. And I think that's a really important piece of getting yourself to where you are now, because most people wouldn't have as many investment properties as you were able to, to build up because you just basically put all your money towards that. I think that's a really important piece. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask one of the questions that we ask all of our guests um, that I love the different answers to because it's such a personal question. Um, how would you define entrepreneurship? Yeah, I think entrepreneurship is when you realize that you are the most important element in your own life and you decide to become an agent and, and the operator and, and the CEO of your life. And you, and for me, it, it meant I was no longer going to sign up every day for somebody else's dream that I was going to be the author of my own dream and pursue that. Um, with that said, I don't think everybody is cut out to be an entrepreneur. It requires a ton of mental fortitude and depending on people's backgrounds, it could, it could, it could break them. And so there, there's a reason why we have a lot of W2 employees in this world. There's a lot of structure that some people need. Um, but for those folks who do have the mental fortitude and have the desire and the dream, I think entrepreneurship is taking, um, taking action and being, being the, the biggest agent of change in your own life. That's beautiful. I love wow. the way you said that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really important piece. I think one thing that Doug and I um, have tried to find the balance with on this podcast is that we have a lot of friends and family that are W-2 employees. And I think it's really important to, to make the differentiation that um, if you are fulfilled and happy in your job, we love that. And that is important. And like, that's the most important thing, right? Being happy and fulfilled in what you're doing. 
and being able to live the life that you want in that. Um, that what we're directing this podcast for is the people who are unfulfilled or like me, I hated going into some of those early hotel jobs. And, um, and it was really kind of a brutal time period in my life going, you know, going in and doing that. And, um, and I think that that's an important different differentiation that, that you so eloquently kind of covered for us there is that, um, if you're looking for that alternative, know that there is freedom in that and that you can do it, but you have to know what you're getting into and it's not an easy path. And that there is usually a lot of massive struggles early on. So I appreciate you like sort of adding that that uh, that clarification. Yeah. Um, for the, for, I was go just ahead. gonna add one other thing. So like my my psychology background because I was a clinical uh, social worker. Something that I that I learned early on uh, in my psychology courses was just the difference between internal and an external locus of control. And an internal locus of control is when we believe that we are the biggest agent. Uh, and change in our lives. And so we're not uh, looking externally saying, well, it's because of this or that or whatever, that, that my life's this way. We actually say the biggest reason why my life's this way is because I've authored it that way versus folks that are having an external locus of control. There's always somebody to blame, you know, it's their mom or it's their boss or, or it's the weather, you know, whatever it is that caused them not to get what they want in their life. And I think for entrepreneurs, you have to have an internal locus of control. When anything is not going well, you cannot point outward and say, well, it's because of this. You have to look inward and say, no, this is my problem to solve. And I am, I'm the number one reason why this is there. And if you can do that, then you can be an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's beautifully said. Yeah, that, that having this, the, the, the confidence and the ownership in your own decisions and how that will guide your life. That's awesome. Yeah. And your uh, psycholo- psychology background, just, I think it's so, so incredible how you had those tools to be able to sort of know I need to take care of my mental state and some of those other things. So I think these are valuable pieces of information that people hopefully be able to take notes on and think like, yeah, Melissa really showed me that I need to, I need to follow through on these things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is not a typical background for a real estate investor. Oh, by the way, I have a master's in psychology, (laughs) Super, but I'm sure that's really helpful as you're going through it all. Yeah, it absolutely is. And uh, it was really interesting as I was going through my journey of transitioning from that background, you know, social work and psychology into into real estate, how applicable all the things I learned in school were to my own journey, you know, as big as like, you are the sum of the, uh, you're the sum of the five people that you surround yourself with. So if you want to start thinking differently and you want to start doing things differently, you have to have, you have to actually surround yourself with examples of people that are embodying that. Because if you are just friends with your, your friends who are not doing that, you will not be able to, it's going to hold you back, you know? And, and it's, and a lot of people don't know that when they get into this, uh, this field or this, or becoming an entrepreneur, you're going to lose friends. And, and that's just the truth. Like there's going to be some people that root for you and are super excited about your adventure. And there's going to be a lot of people that it confronts their own internal negative belief system. And they're going to say, no, nah, you can't do that. It's not good for you. You're going to fail. And they're going to project those fears right onto you and try to hold you back from doing something different. And if you can understand that, then you can just see it for what it is that it's not personal and it's also not correct. You just need to surround yourself with the right type of people who have the same vision as you. And then it will propel you towards your goals. That is a really, I think, common thing that we all go through as we're getting started before we've had success, people around you saying, yeah, this, you're going to do what? Like, that's, that's, not, that's not something you'll be successful at. That's not something you're able to do. And you're already fighting your inner demons. And then you have the people on the outside and you got to fight those demons at the same time. 
And, uh, and yeah, you might lose a few friends along the way, or at least you have to create a little separation, uh, and move some of the folks to the outer, uh, periphery that aren't, don't have the same goals as you, that don't have the same drive as you, that don't want the same things long-term in their life. And, um, that's a great point that you brought up that is pretty common on the journey, but we haven't talked about much here yet. So thank you for, for adding that. Yeah, I love that. I think it's, I think it's really important that, um, that when you do have those people that aren't supporting you as you're going through the really challenging time that, um, you know, retroactively, we can say this now, but you can, you can in the moment say, who are the people that are getting behind me and who are the people that are getting in front of me and blocking me? And maybe those aren't people that I need to have in my life. And like you said, the, the sum of the five people, that's such an important piece. I think, you know, for me with my five and four year old, you know, I think about that all the time, but also just as adults, it's like, um, you know, if they're not helping me, maybe in a year or two, I want the people that are behind me and supporting me. I want those to be my close net group. And you're designing your life, you know, with lots of different things, including choosing who your circle is and who your people that you want to spend time with. So I, yeah, I love that you just said that. Yeah. I mean, do a friendship audit once a year. Look at the people who are <laughs> wow. on your side. Seriously, wow, she's down. dropping fire. <laughs> yeah. Sit down and like make a list of the, of your of your top people, the, the people you're closest with and ask some hard questions. Does this person support me? Are they excited when I share my joys? Are they the first person to knock down my ideas and really audit them? How close should they be to you if they're not supportive in your life? And it's not, it's not a bad thing to, to change your relationship with people. You know, it's a very healthy thing to recognize who, who in your life is rooting for you and who is not. So anyways, that's a pro tip there too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I super love that. Um, looking back on your challenges and your road, what is something that you, I mean, you've already given a ton of them. What, what other pieces of knowledge from your experience do you think would be valuable to tell people that are either in the middle of the fight, trying to find their freedom or they're thinking about stepping out on their own as an entrepreneur, what are some of the, the lessons learned along the path that you think we should cover? I think habit is a really under talked about um, thing, discipline and habit. Uh, it's, you know, it's great to read lots of books. It's great to get a lot of education, but if you don't put it into practice in very tangible ways every single day, then it doesn't happen. And it's boring stuff, but it is lifestyle design. And, and you have to, you know, very systematically sit down and say, if this is my goal for this year, then what am I going to do on a daily basis to get there? And then you have to train yourself like you would like with a personal trainer to, to like dedicate yourself to the types of habits that are going to produce that because results are just a, a collection of habits. And, and for me, I'm just like constantly looking at how can I build new habits that get me to where I want. And so I think, yeah, habit development is, is crucial. Yeah, that's awesome. We're recording this episode uh, in the first week of January, and a lot of people are starting to try and um, materialize their New Year's resolutions. And I, um, you know, have a few people I talk to. It's like, all right, well, it's New Year's Day, um, but tomorrow is a holiday, so I'm not going to start until the second um, <laughs> before I start. And then the second turns into the seventh, and then you know. So I think what you're saying is is so critical to you know to say like, look. I'm going to be disciplined on this and this will lead to results. It's the little steps that lead to the big successes. Um, so especially when you're starting out, um, the little steps that you hold yourself accountable on the goals that you have and being organized um, are so important. What is it? What is your time management philosophy? How do you, I mean, you have multiple um, businesses now. How do you manage all that? And what's your philosophy on that? <laughs> 
So I'm at a place in my career where most of my activities are delegated at this point. So, um, you know, initially when you're an entrepreneur, you're learning all the, all the different roles in your company, right. And you're really trying to understand it. And, and then as quickly as you can, as quickly as you can, when you have a level of, of competency that you can write it out step by step, this is how you do this process do that, write it out and then find the right person to be doing that task regularly so that you do it once and you don't ever have to do it again. And so that's what I did with my company. You know, I, I, my first hire for, for my real estate team was a virtual assistant. And I just one by one, every time I did a task that was not useful to me, that was behind a computer that was not putting me in front of a new client. I recorded the task. I put in a, a clear outline of exactly how to do it. And then I told my admin, this is your job going forward. And he could refer to the videos, refer to the to the the document and he could do it himself uh, independently of me so i've used that model um i have a personal assistant who does most of my uh, transaction stuff i'm just you know mostly what i do is i just show up um face to face i coach my agents anything that they need to learn from like a teaching standpoint i do that um and you know client to client facing activities so like showing properties or, or negotiating or uh, discussing offers but otherwise i've i've pretty much delegated so i only work about 20 hours a week um and still do uh, i'm still one on the top one percent of, of agents in oregon um in terms of my volume so wow yeah. you and john i think are kindred spirits in terms <laughs> yeah. of You're speaking my language in yeah. terms of delegation and and finding yeah. a way to remove yourself as the bottleneck i think yes i look at jonathan as the king uh of of doing that and, and executing that. And it sounds like you and him both. No, I'm taking, I'm, I'm taking notes skill. from Melissa right now. I'm taking notes from Melissa right now. I, I, I definitely don't feel like the king anymore. She she's, might have you. She the, might have you on that. She's taking the cake. But yeah, I think a lot of people get stuck in the, I think it's almost like the American culture mindset of like, I need to work just to work. I need to just keep doing things because that is what I'm supposed to do. And it really takes like a conscious effort to be like, oh, I don't need to be doing this. I have really talented, capable people um, that are supporting their families that are able to do these things. And some of the people, I should say, most of the people I have doing the things actually do them better than I do because I'm not, I'm not really that, that sharp. Um, so, so when I delegate it, um, typically the, the people I choose to do them and I train to do them are much more talented and I'm, I'm not very eloquent either. So they're usually able to do them much better than I. So I kind of remove myself as the bottleneck, but I also actually improve <laughs> the step of that process, which, um, which I think is critical. So I love hearing you say that because I think it's, it's important. You don't have to, you don't have to go out and work the 40 hours a week just because you're supposed to work the 40 hours a week. Um, and, and, and having that realization, um, and then try to, trying to, trying to, uh, set up your team to do that is such an important piece to give yourself even more freedom. And, and, and you've had even more success since you've done that, which is incredible. You have more time and you're more successful. Yeah. And I think, so there, there's two points that I'd like to add to that. Um, the first one is you have to examine your belief about work and about money, right? So a lot of people have the belief that in order to get money, you have to work hard. I would challenge you on that. Is that true? Because one of the great things that my dad taught me was that you work smarter, not harder. And as long as you can internalize that it does not require more work to make more money, then you can start. A lot of people just like spin their wheels, right? They just do busy work all the time and, and they're not actually accomplishing anything, but it's because they have that idea in their head that I just got to work harder. I just got to work harder. It's like, actually, no, you just have to think about it through a different lens of how do I cut this work out and delegate it to other people. And, um, 
And so that, that's the first point. And the second point is you have to adjust your havingness level. Um, havingness level, um, I, I read about this in, in a book this summer, but havingness level is, is the amount that you believe you're worth having in life. And so if you think that you're, you're, you have to work 40 hours a week or you're only able to get a week off of vacation per year or you're, you're, or you really should only be making about 100,000. We all have these different comfort levels in our mind of what we should have. And if you don't adjust that, as soon as you start making, you know, $20,000 a month or $30,000 a month or whatever, you'll actually you'll self-sabotage because in your head, you don't have that level of having this. And so you start to do things to get in your own way. Um, whether it's like failing to, you know, to, to call those clients or, or whatever, oversleeping or missing meetings or whatever. I, I certainly started doing those things when I started consistently making 20, 30, you know, thousand dollars a month. Um, a few years ago, I, I just like, I started self-sabotaging. I really had to like sit down and I did, I did this meditation. I really saw um, for myself that it was a, it was this limiting belief on, on what I was allowed to have. And I, I really was just kind of navel gazing, honestly thinking, am I a good enough leader? Am I, am, am I worthy of making this kind of money? Am I going to mess it up? Am I not going to invest it? You know, I'm the first wealthy person in my family. Maybe I don't deserve this. Right. And I had all these limiting beliefs, but once I realized like, this is not actually about me, this is actually about what the universe is trying to do through me to help people, clients, my agents on my team. And it really has nothing to do with me. The universe is going to reward me for those efforts and they're going to, it's going to put money in my pocket, but really it's about the flow of energy through me to other people. And once I was able to wrap my mind around that, my havingness level just went through the roof. And I, I used to be scared of making $20,000 a month. And then after I, I adjusted that, I, I could make six figures a month. And I was like, this is fantastic. And I'm just going to invest this and I'm going to keep letting the universe do what it's trying to do through me and not have a hesitation about it. So I think having this level is a, is a critical point um, for, for adjustment for new entrepreneurs. That was That's so powerful. I've got, I got yeah. goosebumps for real. Yeah. Super was, insightful. Yeah. For me. You deserve it. You deserve it. And, mm -hmm. and you have to put your mind in the right, in the right you have to uh, believe place that. to get that. Yeah. That. yeah. And wow, you have that to was believe awesome. It's not about you. Like you just have to see the bigger picture. Cause as long as you're looking at yourself and saying, am I good enough? Am I this? Am I that? You've got the wrong mindset. If you keep looking at yourself, then you're missing the whole point of what's trying to happen right now. And as soon as you can look outward and see that this is about other people's lives, you know, if I'm going to change 50 people's lives this year by doing 50 transactions, it's about them. It's really not about me and how much money I'm making. And as soon as you start to change that mindset, the, that guilt and that shame and that, you know, worthiness conflict that you're having is just going to get lifted and you're going to be like so empowered to help those people. Yeah, I think that's kind of the cherry on top with your story is that you referenced this earlier, the sort of the creative financing through you, you know, making the money to support yourself, you're giving other people the opportunity who didn't previously have the opportunities to own houses or to be in certain places, you're giving them the opportunity. So it's like, you're almost like doing a, a really quality service for people, you're continuing a different type of social work which I think is super awesome. Um, and then just, you know, through, through our conversation today, it's really obvious how kind of a person, how good of your person your heart is, and that's going into your work. And now you're getting paid the dividends of that. And that's incredible to hear. Yeah. And I'll throw on there, you know, I get that question all the time. Like, how could you transfer from social work into like this capitalist, like real estate investor and broker? And I was like, oh, you know, you're not quite seeing it the way that I'm seeing it. So I used to work, if you think about life, like this conveyor belt, like society is like this conveyor belt, right? And at the top, you have people that are really performing well, and they're doing just so good. And then you have people that are, are just falling off that conveyor belt, right? Into homelessness, into, into bankruptcy 
bankruptcy into um, serious health conditions, right? They're falling off of that conveyor belt. And then we try to like take social workers and all those sorts of people to try to lift them back up onto the conveyor belt. And it costs so much time and resource and energy. And it's like super hard to get them back into society, right? Hundreds of thousands of dollars per person when you, when you get a homeless person back into society, right? Or just go a little bit further up on that conveyor belt and you grab that young professional and you teach them how to buy a small multifamily property. And in five years when they're going through a divorce or somebody gets cancer or something like that, what do they have? A property to sell. And that's how they solve that problem, right? And so really it's about financial empowerment. It's about financial IQ and, and just like actually seeing it through the lens of all people's lives are valuable and like, let's stop it before they fall off the conveyor belt. So that's, that's been my big transition. Yeah, it's just a more proactive approach to help people as opposed to after things have already fallen off the rails or the conveyor belt or whichever analogy you're going to use. I'm, I'm interested in um, the, the fact that you moved from LA to Portland to build your real estate empire. And I was lucky uh, in my growth and starting my company to be able to stumble into this um, out-of-state real estate investment strategy where I could do it from right here where I'm sitting or anywhere else. Right. So I'm curious to, to hear after going through it and doing it the way that you've done it, how do you, how do you think about that for other people in terms of, okay, I want to be a real estate investor. Do you think it's a critical piece for most investors to have to go and be local so that they can drive out to these properties within an hour to be able to touch and have their own boots on the ground? Or do you think that that just worked out for you and, it doesn't matter. There's all different ways to skin the cat. Yeah. I mean, there, there are different ways of doing it. I, I will say that there, there's a limiting belief in your mind if you think you can't do real estate right where you're at. Because 100%, you throw a rock in that town, you're going to hit somebody who is doing it in your town. And so it's just a mindset, you know, it's going to look different place to place, but there are opportunities everywhere. And especially if you do the creative financing stuff that I, that I did in my career, um, then you can create win-win strategies, no matter what, it doesn't matter if the market's expensive or if it's difficult to get into. Um, obviously Portland was an easier market for me to get into. So I was really glad to do that. And if that's your challenge, then yeah, maybe think about going to an easier market. But I, I think it's really important to invest in your own backyard, um, because that's your local knowledge that is going to take you so far. I have one, one investment property in Ohio um, that, I, that I did out of state. And I can tell you, even though I'm a very experienced investor and I'm a realtor, uh, I, I did not know what I didn't know. And then that's my least performing property, um, even though it was one that has a lot of my cash tied up. And so I think it's, yeah, I think it's super important to invest in your own backyard. That's a great answer. Yeah, and it's funny. I think that's what's funny. What's interesting about that is that that's one of Doug's, I think, most valuable assets is that that is his skill set. The you know the nationwide dealing with people on the ground. He builds relationships with people on the ground who then are able to do that legwork and trust work, and he can trust them to do all those different things. So it's cool how there's so many different niches in real estate, and you really kind of have to find your way um, in those. And you've shared so many so many uh, different pieces and gems on this uh, on this episode. We're so we're so appreciative for you. Your story really resonates with me personally, how you sort of started with a corporate background and wanted to change your life to meet your real life goals. And that's what we try and do in the Find Your Freedom podcast. So thank you so much for taking the time today. Let's finish with um, any other resources. I think the book that you just referenced would be good. Um, any other your favorite uh, podcasts or books, but can you start with that book that you just referenced that you read last summer? 
Oh yeah. Um, so it's kind of, it's not really a real estate book, but it was very transformational. Uh, it's called existential kink. Um, and what that's about is it's, it's identifying that there are things that we're, we design our life, whether we do it consciously or we do it subconsciously, but everything in our life is because we want it there and we're getting something out of it. In other words, like, you're getting off on it. So if there's things in your life that you don't like, you need to start asking, what is your subconscious getting out of this experience? It clearly likes it. Um, and so it, it's like, it's <laughs> like a great. really interesting take on things, but it really did illuminate. Like, again, we are our, our primary agent in our life. We're, we are the creator of our, of our realities. And, uh, so like, look around in your life. If, if you're, if you're one of those people and you hate your job and you feel so like burnt out and all that stuff, well, something about you is enjoying that. So look at what's enjoying that. Maybe it's the belief that you're a martyr and you're saving the world and you're so special. That's what was for me when I was in social work. I was getting off on the fact that people looked at me and said, wow, she's doing these amazing things. And I had to recognize like, am I really that vain that I'm going to do this so that other people think that I'm a good person? That's so silly. Like I should just do something that I really enjoy like business. <laughs> and so even though it's not as like admired, it is more in alignment with what I enjoy. And actually I'm really good at it and I can change people's lives. And so yeah, Existential Kink was a fantastic book. It's not a business book, but it will change your life if you let it. Um, in terms of podcasts, Bigger Pockets was a fantastic resource for me as That's well. So good. Yeah, we mm -hmm. love that. We're actually mm -hmm. working with one of the editors off of that. Um, so, <laughs> so hopefully we'll catch some of their followers too. Mm -hmm. So we're going to have listeners who are going to want to reach out to you. Can you tell us sort of where you want people to be able to find you? Yeah, yeah, you can find me. Um, so my team is the Yasha Group. Um, so yashagroup.com. Uh, you can also find me at Living Room Realty. That's my brokerage that, I, that I'm licensed with. Uh, really easy to find me there. Um, you can email me at melissa at livingroomre uh, as in realestate.com. Um, it's the easiest, easiest way to reach me. Awesome. This was filled with so many just absolute gems that we're going to have a real challenge trying to trying to parse out. We're going to have like an unlimited number of highlight reels <laughs> that we're going to be able to pull from this. So, <laughs> so thank you so much for providing your obvious expertise to us and our audience. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, Thanks for Melissa, having me. You absolutely exceeded all of our wildest expectations. So thank you so, so much. It's been a real pleasure uh, chatting with you today and uh, look forward to hopefully doing more with you in the future. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. Hello, everyone. If you enjoyed this podcast episode with Melissa, please take a moment right now to like it, to subscribe to our YouTube channel, or to write us a review. Uh, Melissa also offered up some really insightful knowledge for everyone um, that is interested in real estate with creative financing. So we're going to go ahead and plug that in the back end of the episode here. If you're still interested in more information from Melissa, we'll play it here now for you. Thank you so much for listening to Find Your Freedom. Some of the things that I did that were really creative uh, was doing interest-only payments so that it would cash flow really well. Uh, and that would allow me to take care of the tenants. Uh, it would allow me to uh, you know, be able to get that cash flow every month. And it also helped the seller because if you start paying that principal down, they have to pay taxes on that. And so um, it's a win-win to just pay interest-only payments. So that, that was really key. Um, but even more important than that, uh, what I did, and this is a little bit of a more technical, uh, this is going to be for our, our more advanced folks, but um, you have to think about uh, 
you know, the, the mortgage on a property and the property as two different values, right? So the property has its own value. It's like, you can run comps, you can figure out what it's worth, all that stuff. Right. But the terms, the mortgage, the, the note that you negotiate with that seller has its own value, right? If I was going to say, do you want a mortgage that's going to be, uh, for five years at 10% and amortized over 30 years, or do you want a mortgage that's going to last a hundred years? It'll have a balloon after a hundred years. It'll be at 1% interest and interest only payments, which one's more valuable? Obviously the hundred year one, you know, that thing's going to be worth so much money by the time you have to pay off that debt. And so negotiating amazing terms creates the opportunity to, um, to domino that into, into other opportunities. So, you know, being able to negotiate that, one of the things that I negotiated was the ability to move the promissory note and deed of trust that, that note, that mortgage from one property to another. Okay. Which is just like, if you really take that, that's in, my, no, it is. It's it mind, is blowing. mind blowing, right? Yeah. So, so imagine you buy a really crappy property, right? It's a rundown house, right? But you've, you've negotiated amazing terms. All right. The maybe 3% interest, zero down payment, right? Interest only payments for 30 years. Okay. That's an amazing note. Well, just, you can take that note, maybe it's for 300,000 and you move it onto another property of yours in second position. Well, what does that leave that, that crappy house? it's free and clear, right? So go sell that crappy house and guess what? No capital gains because it's lent money, right? It, you didn't have any equity in it. You bought it for 300,000 and five days later, you sold it for 300,000. There's no capital gains there. And now what do you have? You have $300,000 to go invest and buy the next one and create new terms for yourself. And so what I did is I just dominoed one after another. Every time I got enough equity, you know, wealth did what it was doing. It was always creating more equity in my properties. And then I would just private, I'd find private lenders who wanted to make a return on that, or I would just go buy properties and negotiate amazing terms and just make them one after another domino effect, uh, until I was able to build my portfolio quickly.